All right, let's delve right in to Pokemon the first movie. Pokemon the first movie consists of two parts, three if you consider the extended version of the film, Pikachu's Vacation, Mewtwo Strikes Back, and the prologue, the origin of Mewtwo, which is only in the extended release. Now, here's one thing to quickly bring up. The name of the movie. It's amusing since it's titled the first movie. It may seem pretentious that a first installment of a franchise is calling itself that. As if to say, yeah, be prepared audience. We are making more of these, whether this flops in the theaters or not. Well, remember last time I mentioned that Pokemon was a media phenomenon, basically right from the get-go, with its innovation and appeal between the games and TV show? Well, this movie was destined to make a ton of money, spurring more than enough confidence for sequels. 23 and counting as of 2020, including a remake of this exact film. Also, the second movie was already out in Japan. So, blame it on the distributors? Or whoever was smug about titling the first movie the first movie? It's a shameless marketing ploy to drive hype for these annual features, so what can I say? Even the name Mewtwo Strikes Back is confusing since it implies that the movie is Mewtwo's second outing, looking for revenge. Only one of these things is accurate. So, anyway, the film begins with Pikachu's vacation which is a cutesy, shall we say, look into what these creatures we call Pokemon are like when left on their own without their human companions at their side. The setting we are shown is this recreational park of sorts, a place of outdoor refuge for the Pokemon, where they can bask into the sun, take a nice swim, stroll through a hedge maze, zipline from high heights, or simply sleep on the grass. Just ask Meowth for the last one. Meowth tends to get a little bit of bad luck in the course of the story. Those of you who've seen the movie will know what I'm talking about, but I digress. With lots to do in this park, a perfect getaway for total relaxation and adventure awaited these Pokémon. We see that Ash's Pokémon, led by Pikachu, takes on a guardian role over Misty's Togepi, a baby-like creature encased in an egg, except for its head and feet. Always ready to cry if not cared for or caressed, Pikachu takes on its responsibility to protect Togepi very seriously. In one scene, Togepi is asleep, while a gang of mischievous Pokémon enter, loudly making their presence heard. Irritated that their ruckus arrival caused Togepi to wake up, Pikachu, Squirtle, and Ivysaur confront the troublemakers. Pikachu, being the voice of reason, tells them to set a good example for the baby. Wide awake, Togepi unfortunately wanders off as no one is there keeping watch, leading Pikachu to chase after it. Meanwhile, doubly outnumbered 4-2, the mischievous gang assert themselves over Ash's Pokémon, in Pikachu's absence. Two of them, Squirtle and Snubble, puff their chests aggressively, causing Squirtle to fall off balance, drawing laughter from Snubble's cohorts. Ivysaur steps in, staring and rotating its eyes in dizzying fashion at Snubble, causing it to also lose balance and fall, providing laughs for Team Ash. The rest of the gang, Raichu, Cubone, and Meryl, disapprove, and the latter, a water Pokémon just like Squirtle, challenges it to a race. Where else? 
in water. Now, why a race? Because a build-up towards rivalry has to amount to something competitive, if not playful, right? At least, that's what we're supposedly led to believe, if judging by the dozens of vacationing Pokémon spectating the race at a resort-style pool. Anyway, Squirtle ends up losing the race to Meryl, due to an ill-timed bump with another Pokémon in the water, Galdeen, swimming in the reverse direction, causing it to lose and make up time to get to the finish line. In second place, Squirtle, in shame of the loss, stays submerged and lowers its head in the water, while the mischievous gang cheers and spectators look on. Now, you'd think that at this point, Ash's Pokémon would be left alone, since what else is there to show off in terms of dominance and intimidation? Well, things heat up, or more accurately, get electrified. The next scene has Raichu, the evolved version of Pikachu, but heads with its more famous predecessor. Pikachu doesn't take kindly at all that Raichu scares and even shocks Togepi with its electrocution. In fact, Pikachu is angry and baldly steps up to Raichu. With both being the same elemental type of Pokémon, Electric, the combined voltage between the two, rubbing heads side to side, while taking steps forward, causes the mice to speed up, resulting in the two bolting out of the scene and all over the park. Pikachu and Raichu proceed to wreak havoc, as they bump into various Pokémon in the middle of their activities, disturbing the peace, if you will, even interrupting the mundane act of catching some Zs. Regardless, you probably wouldn't want to wake anyone up, lest you face the wrath of a cranky sleeper deprived of their rest, much less so a sleeping giant. That's where we find Ash's Charizard, a sizable dragon cozily asleep, away from the unfolding action taking place in its absence. But that won't be the case any longer, as we see Pikachu and Raichu continue to careen past anything and everything in sight, including rushing past Charizard's resting place, or more specifically, running right over Charizard's tail, lying on a path in front of them. Charizard immediately wakes up from its slumber, and in a furious bit of fiery rage, proceeds to chase after Pikachu and Raichu, eventually getting ahead of them to put an end to their chaotic run. The mice collide into Charizard, who uses its wings to generate strong winds, blowing them off a cliff and into safety, courtesy of landing on a sleeping Snorlax, a giant Pokémon with an oversized belly, acting as a great cushion and, unfortunately, a trampoline. A bit of hilarity ensues for those of you who remember the scene. Immediately after we see this, Charizard, who is doing some kind of showy, if not celebratory, display of dominance and arrogance, ferociously flies right past Pikachu, Raichu, and their respective groups reunited with them. Not exactly sure how Squirtle, Ivasaur, Togepi, Snubble, Meryl, and Cubone managed to catch up from far away, but whatever. For them and for us, we are about to witness a show, as Charizard, continuing on its fast flight straight ahead while looking behind to happily catch a glimpse of the Pokémon reacting to being nearly swept by Charizard's powerful gust of wind, ends up crashing into some obstacles ahead of its path. Whoops. This all happens quickly in a few seconds. Charizard takes a quick but too late glimpse at what it's about to hit while still flying fast, right towards into a bunch of equipment and building materials, including a net, wooden logs, 
and loose tires in a construction zone for the park. Charizard rolls through all of this in midair, before ultimately crashing headfirst into a pipe leading into a dome dwelling. Almost immediately, Charizard looks helpless, its neck stuck deep inside this long pipe, its head fortunately inside the dome, where it can breathe, but the rest of its body, hands and feet including, outside the dome. Charizard tries to pull itself from the dome, but the pipe is too tight. This wasn't going to be easy. The Pokémon, now gathered behind Charizard, consisting of Ash's group plus some of the other trainer starters like Geodude, Onix, and Pidgeotto, Rock, Ground, and Flying types respectively, attempt to help free Charizard. They tie a rope around one of its ankles, hoping that a combined group effort in tugging Charizard in their direction would be enough to pull its head out. But alas, this doesn't work. The mischievous gang who are watching this not-so-successful rescue attempt openly laugh when Charizard takes a step forward, abruptly pulling the rope held by the rescue group, causing all who are tugging on it to lose balance and fall collectively on their feet. Sensing failure and hopelessness, the normally brash Charizard, who doesn't display any kind of soft emotion, sheds some tears, unbeknownst to the Pokémon outside the dome. Pikachu may have been close to tears as well, but puts on a determined, yet desperate face, goes over to the mischievous gang, and asks for sympathy for their comrade in need. A kind gesture of help from Pokémon to Pokémon is all what matters in this moment, to put it simply. Uncharacteristically, three of the four adversaries agreed to abandon their antics, and pitch in their strength, making Pikachu happy that there's hope in freeing Charizard. At this point, 13 Pokémon are in it with a rope, and renew their efforts to pull this beast out. Still, not enough. The sweat. The toughness on every Pokémon's face. Charizard angrily breathing out fire, which is channeling out from a chimney for everyone to see. Frustration is apparent. Eyeing this unfolding attempt is the lone, unruly Pokémon who refused to help with this at all. Cubone. Described as an ineffectual loner and selfish creature, Cubone had been acting exactly how its kind is supposed to, which the narration, yes, there is narration in this feature, points out. But, defying expectations, this Pokémon comes to its senses after a moment of hard thinking, penetrating this negative, stubborn pride. It is fitting that Cubone's appearance, a skull encasing its head, despite being a small dragon-like creature, just like Charizard, with a pronounced aggressive look in its eyes, lines up with a Pokémon you'd most expect not being up to any good. I won't go into the fan theories out there about how Charizard and Cubone might be related in some way, but the comparison and dark comedy of it is funny, so look it up after you listen to this. Still, it is rather poetic that these two normally confrontational Pokémon are bookends of this scene. When would you expect Cubone to aid Charizard? Circumstances notwithstanding, it is not in Cubone's nature to go against its usual behavior, but does so anyway psychologically, which is a win for character development and a win for this story. Cubone joins the 13 other Pokémon tugging at the rope and directly in front of Pikachu, as if to claim leadership credit for the rescue attempt, one could say, or perhaps to show that Cubone and Pikachu are now equal side to side in their mission to free Charizard. However you see it as, Pikachu is visibly delighted. 
Moments later, after a few more hard pulls from the rescue team, with one of them accompanied by another of Charizard's expulsion of fire from its mouth from inside the dome, the combined force of just that finally is enough to send Charizard pulling right out of the pipe. Charizard is launched like a cannon backwards, but flies out, free, at last. All the Pokémon, including the Gang of Bullies, rejoice in their success, right from the ensuing rubble they landed on, after also being launched backwards with Charizard when the rope pulled out in that direction. In the closing moments of this special, we see the same group of Pokémon, now including Charizard, working together to help construct new additions to their park, using the building materials from earlier that Charizard ran into before the accident. Rather than letting those materials go to waste, the Pokémon engage in teamwork once more, this time under more pleasant circumstances, with the reward having them play in their new swing set, slide, sandbox, teeter-totter, and log raft in the open water. Vacation salvaged. Quoting the narrator, we close off with, Despite uncertainties, Pokémon vacations are highly recommended. Alright, now, let me flash back to my viewing experience at my cousin's house when I was watching this feature for the first time. Definitely, the thing that stood out the most in my memory was of poor Charizard's dilemma. In real time, and I'm going to be honest, I wasn't paying full attention to the story. I was huddled behind everyone, I think, in the back of the living room somewhere, probably playing with a Christmas toy, while everyone else, one of my younger brothers including, all on the couch glued to the TV. But as with anything I see on screen involving drama and conflict leading to a tense moment of danger and emotion, especially involving fear, I curiously stop what I do and stare at these types of scenes. I always root for something good to happen, and I pray that no one gets hurt, as odd as it is to say about fictional characters in a movie or TV show, even if I'm not watching it in the first place. Can anyone relate? I guess my personality is that I care to see anyone, fictional or real, not get hurt, and find a resolution or redemption. I hate to see failure, unless there's learning from it. That, I'm fine with. To be specific, I hate to witness downfalls of good characters. Well, beyond comeuppances given out for bad deeds, and evil characters. I've come to learn that anime storytelling is just as rich in character arcs, simple and complex as they may be, which, as an adult, is great, because a 21-minute feature with not much dialogue other than pokey-speak and occasional narration still shown in its visual narrative, both in the action and character-establishing moments of the Pokémon, like Raichu's bullying being defined as, yes, it would go so as far as to actually hurt a child. This in reference to electrocuting Togepi, angrily causing Pikachu to be Team Dad and stand up to this behavior. But as a kid, what really drew my attention to Pikachu's vacation was the fear and uncertainty that Charizard experienced in getting its head stuck in that pipe. Like, what young kid out there wouldn't feel for that creature? Especially since many of us are scared of tight spaces and getting stuck somewhere in general. And you know that this is kind of a tough scene to watch as a kid when Charizard cries. There really aren't many non-anime cartoons, on TV anyway, or film shorts that deliver illicit sadness, except for anything that Disney and Pixar put out. Anyway, needless to say, 
I'm glad that scene got my attention, and it's always in me to want to know what happens next in a moment of dire circumstances. Good ending or bad, I will be drawn, regardless of my age. So, I was of course happy that Charizard was rescued, and that the story ended well for everyone. Especially to see the bullying Pokémon put aside their differences to help their fellow brethren. The feature gets capped off by showing us that the group of now former bullies coalesce with the other Pokémon in the sunset. Where shortly thereafter, Pikachu and Snubble shake hands before bidding farewell, which is warmly reciprocated to the rest of its group when Ash calls for Pikachu to return with him home. Wrapping up on Pikachu's vacation, here are some last thoughts and interesting things I'd like to share. Alright, number one. We see two types of breaking a character in this feature, involving two archetypes, an interesting dichotomy, the cute Togepi and the rough-around-the-edges Charizard. Neither are spared without tears, so we not only feel for them, but we are shown that yes, even the tough cry. And that's okay to let it out. Number two. We see three characters suffer from the butt of a joke or misfortune. Squirtle, who isn't able to catch a break on his own when standing up to the bullies, Charizard for obvious reasons, and Meowth most comedically, who gets burned and sat on by Charizard when trying to catch some sleep. Sleep, sleep, sleep. There's so much to do in this park, yet so many more Zs to catch by much of the park's poke visitors. By the way, there sort of is a visual fart joke when Charizard lifts up from the impact crater caused by his fall after launching from the pipe. When landing on Meowth, who has a bomb in hand, Charizard's body cushions the blast, and all you see is smoke coming from its behind, with the crater looking like it had been formed because of powerful gas, rather than a landing. Seeing that Meowth is on the receiving end of this, a character allied with the evil Team Rocket, it is funny to see it hoisted by its own petard, to use an expression, even if this is a case of unwanted bad luck for the cat that wants an undisturbed nap. Next, number three. Since I mentioned Disney not too long ago, did I unlock a memory for you when I mentioned that there are a number of somewhat abstract acid sequences involving Pokémon as transitions weaved in and out of the story? Like a horde of Magnemite getting larger and larger between cycles of light and dark? Or a bunch of Jigglypuffs rolling left and right in multiple rows, singing some kind of lullaby notes in unison? Look at some of those visuals. Just Google those GIFs online. They're rather... trippy. I think they could be great in a music video. Someone out there listening, please combine these sequences and make a Pokemon AMV of this. I mean, if you do, we can show it at Anime Boston. Haha, <laughs> sorry. Enforced plug, moving on. Number four. Apparently, Pikachu's vacation is the first time we see Generation 2 Pokemon, Meryl and Snubble, on screen, since Gen 1 was the focus up to this point in the TV series in the US. Interestingly, this is also Mr. Mime's first appearance as well, predating his TV show appearance in both English and Japanese broadcasts. And lastly, number 5. The narrator we hear describing parts of the story throughout Pikachu's vacation? That's Ash's Pokédex, serving the role of adding exposition for the audience, you and me. The Pokédex narration is only present in the dub. Depending on who you are, this may be seen as a good thing since it's helpful for young kids to connect with the story more, 
or unnecessary pandering to a younger crowd and holding their attention rather than to let the visuals and actions speak for themselves. Gotta love four kids on that one. Well, that covers just about everything to talk about just on this feature alone, and we still haven't gotten to the main movie itself. Listeners, stay tuned for part two, You Two Strikes Back. I'll have plenty to talk there and share my thoughts on. Till next time, this is George Yazbek signing out. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Anime Boston podcast presented by the Anime Boston Convention. This is a volunteer effort and a labor of love and is presented to you by the podcast staff, Lauren Gallo, Bogulu, George Yazbek, Mitch Stern, Nanvo, Olivia Keen, and Todd the Todd Father Whitney. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.